round two of recording this because I forgot to hit record the first time. Okay, welcome into welcome to Into the Fray. I'm Austin, your host. Cannot be more excited to do this introduction. I'm doing it right after I just recorded the episode with Andrew. Andrew Rowland is so amazing to me. He's he gives me an energy that I just I want to latch on to. I want to be around him. He's he's just got an excitement to him. And I I really admire that because he's someone who he makes me excited to do ministry and to step across the aisle. You know, me and Andrew, we we got to do this really cool thing last year for our youth where his youth group at Refuge Church in Lakeland came over to the bridge in Nashville and our youth groups did a service together and Andrew preached for our youth group and it was so cool because we're not just churches from different counties like the bridge is in Berrien County and Refuge is in Lanier it's not just cross county that was happening like that we were crossing the the aisle with but Refuge is a part of the Church of God and the bridge is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and the fact that we got to come together and do ministry together and unite in Christ, like, that's true unity. Like, Baptist churches teaming up with Baptist churches isn't, un- like, that's sameness. That's you locking arms with people who are just like you, think just like you. Yeah, you may have some, like, a little bit of differences or whatever, but they're not crazy differences that really require the discipline of humility and unity, right? But refuge and the bridge teaming up that's a that's a discipline right there that is true unity of you stepping across theological aisles and saying yo we both love jesus we're both trying to follow jesus the best we can and we both love the word we love the spirit and we want to team up and we want to show that unity that jesus prayed about before he you know went to the cross like that high priestly prayer like we want that unity, and that's what we got to do. I, I just genuinely loved that, and I loved that you know, me and Andrew got to experience some of that. Not only then, but we got to do it in this conversation, have some cool conversations about speaking in tongues, about sports, and um, him being called to the ministry, identity crisis, all these different things. I truly am thankful for Andrew Rowland and his impact that he's making over at Refuge and Lanier and in Clinch and uh just want to welcome you to Into the Frame now. So if you're new to us, go ahead and leave us a rating and review. Give us five stars in your podcast feed. Share us uh, with some friends. Share us on social media. Share us in text messages. Send this episode to somebody. Why are you not doing that? Send it. All right? Okay? With that, we also have a website. Go check our website out. We have some cool things there. We got book recommendations. We got... Uh, writings that I wrote personally. We also have um, social media where I on Fridays I do these new things called book review, book recommendations. I need a better name for it. Um, Fridays where I'm I'm helping you know what book you should get, right? What book you should be reading. It's it's a great uh, area to dive into. Um, uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, along with that. And this is Into the Fray. So thank you for listening. And I just want to welcome you to Into the Fray. It's me, your host, Austin, and our special guest this episode, Andrew Roland. Thank you again, Andrew, for everything you do, man. You, you truly 
give me an excitement to do ministry. Y'all had a game last night, right? Yeah, we had to go all the way to Blackshear, Blackshear, Georgia. Played Pierce County last night. It was a ride, about forty-five minutes from the school. But on a bus, you got to factor in like you know you can't go over like fifty-five, and so it took us about an hour to get there. And then on the way back, it like absolutely monsooned. Like when I tell you, like lightning about struck the bus. Like it got good enough. Like it was close enough. Like I was sitting in my seat. And all of a sudden, I heard crack like that. And, like, I looked to the left, and, like, it just boomed. Our bus driver was like, his name's Tad. We call him Tadpole. You got to know him. He's hilarious. He said, golly, man. What was that? So, like, everybody got shot. So, is that y'all's first game? That was our, our, our first. That was our scrimmage game. Our first actual regular season game won't be till this coming up Friday. Okay. We'll play against Barry. So, okay. Yep. Yeah, that'll be the. It'd be over in Homerville. It'd be the be the matchup right there. We actually have played them a little bit during the summer. You do some things called like OTAs. Like it stands for organized team activities. It's kind of janky to call it that, but you basically just put on pads and you pretty much practice it with each other. And so we practice, we did that with Barry in a little bit. So we've actually practiced with them, and we had a little bit of scrap in between us during the camp a little bit. You know, and they our kids are feisty, so we're they're excited to play Barry nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> Who, uh, like, what's y'all's record between Barry and so far? Oh, man, there's no telling. back and forth. Man, Homeville's had a football program for so long. I'd I'd say Homeville's probably being, I'd had, if I looked at it, probably about 6% of the time, maybe, maybe a little more. It's, it's pretty much back and forth with him. Okay. Barry, Barry's got a pretty little pro, good program <clears throat> for the most part. It's So it's in between back and forth, honestly. Okay. When they say... Because I don't obviously play sports. Uh, <laughs> when they say that, like, Clinch has a good program compared to Lanier, are they just talking about, like, is that like a coach thing or is that like resources being provided to the teams? Or is there like. So, what yeah. really kind of encompasses like a program <clears throat> as a whole, I think, like, the biggest things are history, it's history, how it's doing now, and then the staff. And then also, you know, the community. Yeah. And so when they say Homerville's got a really good program, Homerville's had a football team like since, oh my gosh, forever. Like they was playing in, in like a, like right now. If you went to Homerville, I don't know. Have you ever been to Homerville? Yeah. Like, and roll through. You know where that old barbecue shop is right there. Come when you're coming into Homerville. Yes. Yes. And they got a coffee shop there now. Okay. They used to play on that field. Like that's where they used to play their games. <laughs> okay. That was a football stadium, and I didn't know this till this year. I was talking to Don, and I was like. We had to go practice there because our field was flooded. He goes, man, I remember getting to watch some games here. And I was like, what? This doesn't even look <laughs> like a football field. Like, what is this? He goes, yeah, we had a football game here. And so they've had it for so long, it's just kind of built up. And, like, that's, like, the only thing to do in home on a Friday night. Yeah. So, like, people come out the woos ought to come watch. Like, I remember when I went to school over there for one year, like, you – see people out there and you can tell obviously didn't have a lot of money but they would scrounge up some money just to come watch that football game yeah like that's what they wanted to do and so the community's really good over there um the history's good we've got a great staff um so i think that's really what comes a good program then when you compare it to like somebody i'm not bashing lakeland i'm just 
this is how I played it like, like you know and they're actually getting better at it now they're actually developed Kurt has done a really good job at developing a better football program um, but when we was over there you didn't really have that much community support you know and I think Lakeland's football team I think my mom was like a part of the first football team they ever had so my, my mom's like 40 <laughs> something so yeah. she's not okay. so it's they don't really have a deep history but they're they're starting to build it together like so like maybe we're you graduated a little after me mm-hmm. but I can't imagine it changed that much uh, when I was in high school we trashed our football team constantly. Like there was no support from the students whatsoever. We could care less. We only went to the games to just hang out with friends. That's exactly what it was when we were in school. Is that's not how it is at like Clinch or Barian? <laughs> no. Like when kids go to the game, they're going to go watch these kids play. Like and they look up to these kids. Like our football players are pretty much considered like like role model. Like these kids. Like like the other day I had I coached D line and so. My 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 room's like open for them twenty four seven. They come in and grab water or whatever they got needing there. I got a bunch of stuff for them set up. Well, my nose guard came in there, and I was so one of my kids goes, "Hey, should?" He kind of looked like, "I don't know you." Like, and these are eight graders. They so like they look up to these kids. Like they come out to come watch them, and people dream of playing on that football field. Like it's. That is crazy. Okay. It's it, 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 good programs is how it is, man. Yeah. Like there's like a legacy built into it. Like they have debates all the time, like who was the best football player in Homerville, who was you know who who who's you know do you remember this happened this happened like people, it's definitely different when because I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Man, when we was in school, like people came to the game just to come chill out and come hang, yeah. you know, or come watch the band. <laughs> they wouldn't nobody yeah. come to watch the game. And even I, I remember like some of the football players, they would uh. Sometimes that they would trash their team themselves, but then there's some of them who were like getting mad that we would trash the football team or like talk bad about them, because they're like, "Listen, your support, your lack of support affects how we're gonna play, and it like dampens the mood." So when we go out on the football field, we're like, "Yeah, why would we even try?" Like mm-hmm. our, they, our our school doesn't even like root for us, which I don't know. They they pull a lot of people like they're gonna pull that card. I mean. It, it does help when you have, like, a packed out. When it's packed out, man, it really does help. Like, when we go play, like, our rival game against Charlton. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That thing is about slap full. Like, you can't walk. And so when you have, a, a, like, an atmosphere like that versus, like, when we go play a private school, we know we're going to beat. <laughs> it's just kind of – it's and nobody's hard there because they know it's not going to be that good of a game. Yeah. It, it, it You can tell the difference. <clears throat> so, I mean, but at the same time, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like – it really it, it really depends on those guys and the coaching staff. If you got a fit to, like close knit family in there, yeah, and y'all develop something, <clears throat> yeah, the community can help, but it's huh. not as crazy as everybody makes it. It's like, oh, we can't win if y'all don't like us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Okay, so is your family originally from Homerville? So my dad was born and raised in Homerville. Mom was born and raised here, and so okay. they and they met. Their story. They always time telling their story, and I, I still it's bad. I don't remember it. <laughs> your so, grandparents lived beside you, right? Uh, yeah, they did. Is my, that your mom's or dad's? That's my mom's. Okay. My dad's lived closer towards Naylor. Okay. But they started out in Dupont. That's where they. That's where dad and them kind of always stayed out growing up. Um, and then dad, I think dad and mom met at New Vision Church over in Homeville. I think that's where they first met. Okay. Or something like that. And dad was like, he seen her singing in the choir or something, or. 
one of them saw each other singing in the choir and they kind of just like got love struck after that yeah. so that was their whole ordeal but yeah dad was born and raised Homeville mom born and raised Lakeland um then we they I guess they decided to move here in Lakeland and so we grew up me and all my families grew up here um I guess with just those Homerville ties. I went, you know, I don't remember, I went to school in Homerville for a year. And so, yeah, that kind of, that's what's kind of got me back in Homerville now, really, is me being there for a year and then dad growing up there. Yeah. Because when you went to Homerville for a year, right? This mm-hmm. is around the time when, like, Matthew Hardy went to Valwood or wherever he went? That was his senior year. That okay. was his senior year. So, back when I went, it was about my, my sophomore year that I went, freshman, sophomore year that I went to Homerville. So, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think. That would have been like when Matt White and them were like juniors. Okay. Some of them like that. That's about around the time I went. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I know. It feels like a century ago. Yeah. <laughs> Don't feel like we're supposed to be this old. And so, is your dad a preacher's kid too or? No. He has no, yeah, he, his, his story's pretty wild to listen to. Like he, okay. he, he was, he wasn't raised up church. Nobody in his family was in the church. Like. <laughs> okay. He, what about your mom? Mom, so my aunt, my granny, my aunt, we call her Nana. Okay. She was big in church. Now, her dad, Papa, he would go to church, but he wasn't like a, yeah. you know, he he didn't really care about it. You know, he just went because his wife forced him to go. So, um, and that's how it pretty much came to be with the, her side. But dad's side, man, he's got such a crazy testimony, like, on, like of how he's came to be. Like, he he pretty much had to get it out of himself, like. Like he tells a story at church all the time how it came to be, and it it's mind blowing, man. Okay. okay. Was he into sports too, or was he was? His problem was is his dad really wasn't involved in his life, you know, okay. as much. Um, so he didn't really have any. That's one thing I appreciate my dad. He he was involved with us sports really heavily. That was kind of like our bonding time. He didn't really have his dad yeah. to do anything with him like that. But he picked it up like around his junior senior year. Um, he played football and baseball and loved it, <clears throat> but he had to pay the bills. Yeah, he wanted to get a truck, and so he, you know, <laughs> he wanted to get a truck. So he didn't play but very long, and just kind of had to fade out because he needed to get some money. Okay. So that was his ordeal in sports. So did he get saved before you were born, or? Yeah, before. Okay. And then when was he called to be a pastor? Oh man, that's a good question. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly don't think it was too long after the fact of him. It was really after the fact of him and mom, I think, getting married. I think he got called to be a pastor about maybe a year or two after that. I mean, I might be wrong. Not dad will text me later and be like, hey, yeah. what the heck? And then how long after that were you born? Oh, man. Uh, let's see. Let's do some simple math. <laughs> let's, be, let's, be, let's get my teaching skills. Dad's 46. I'm 23. So he had when he was 20. Oh yeah, he had him when he was twenty. He's forty six now. He had me when he was twenty three. Mom, they only dated for like three months. Or okay. like it was, oh, they got it was short. They had Respect. a short engagement, yeah. and all that. <laughs> so I think he had me about when he was twenty two or twenty three in that area. Okay. So I'd say he probably was about twenty three or twenty four when he got called to preach. You know. Okay. And then did he preach at any churches besides Ray City Church of God before he was there? Or? He was over there in, so his ordeal is, I think he, he kind of felt called to preach, but he never really kind of jumped out there. He was a youth, him and mom were a youth pastor for a while here in Lakeland. They were youth pastors. At what, Lakeland Church Lake, of God? Lakeland Church of God, whenever like, Brother Holland was there. Okay. 
and so that right. yeah they was so they was youth pastors and then I think dad finally started walking in the pastor call and then he started the church over in Ray City and that's kind of where we got our start. Oh, so he planted the church yeah he built that that church it was like used to be it used to be like a trailer it's crazy to imagine that yeah. like where the sanctuary is at now yeah it used to be just like a little trailer it sat right here and like it was a hallway like just a long hallway with like about 30 seats in it dang okay yeah <laughs> it, it was crazy to, to think where he is now he's that's y'all definitely he, made a name for that church like because I remember my family like we were very close to Prescott's growing up mm-hmm. and constantly being invited to what's going on at Ray City Church of God wouldn't have even known there was a Lakeland Church of God as a kid because we were con- like I don't know it's just y'all are constantly doing things I remember y'all started a school at one point we did right? okay I went I went there for a year it was we called it Eagle Rock Christian Academy yeah there was like maybe eight kids in there yeah and my <laughs> mom was like yeah when once they get going you're going there she she wanted me to go to like a private Christian school for the longest and I was like no mom I want I want to I want to stay with my friends right it was it was it was cool but. <laughs> it was definitely not the same. I loved public school. I was that kid. I liked the social. We, but we couldn't keep it open. We, our teachers that was ever doing it were working for free. They wouldn't get paid. They was volunteering time. That's to, crazy too. To teach. Yeah, we had a lady from um, Adel. Her name was Judy Abel. She was my teacher. Okay. And she wasn't getting paid a dime. That they would every so often give her some money for gas. Yeah. She was just coming over and teaching. Like, how do you get people to do that? I, Guess as good as mine, especially teaching. Holy cow! I'm just thinking about like we're trying to get volunteers at the bridge for like an hour, you know, once a month to do like children's ministry, and like you almost have to pay people to do that. But uh, to for what forty hours a week or whatever to come and teach kids. Yeah, I mean, and <laughs> with me being a teacher now, you if you were to tell me you was going to cut my paycheck and I just had to teach just to teach, I would tell you no, like, <laughs> yeah. easily. You cannot. It's uh. <laughs> wow. But then I guess that just shows like the environment y'all are building at that church that you have people that willing to serve in whatever yeah. capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, dad's always that's been crazy. A, dad's always been big about servant like servanthood. She like and yeah. that's what we're trying to do in Lakeland now is trying to really build that. Trying to really build up servanthood and stuff like that. That's how ministry's done, man. Like yeah, you. You can't minister without servanthood. Like that's what Jesus did. Came to, came to serve, you know. Yeah. So and that's where I think he's done. He's a, I don't know how he's done it. I really don't. <laughs> he's just really. He's always been good at it. I think really it comes down to he's always been good about building a really close personal relationship with everybody he's met. Mm-hmm. And so I think this they just trust him and they love him so much. They're like hey, we'll do stuff for you, you know, because yeah. we're close with you. Like even the Prescotts, like you didn't mention them. Yeah. We met them at a t-ball game. Like we played, me and Blake played baseball. Game. That's the first time we met. Okay. And so they went in church, and Dad was sitting there constantly building relationships with them. He finally said, "Hey, why don't y'all just come over and race with us one day?" And then that got started. Yeah. So, man. Okay. So you growing up as a pastor's kid, what was? There's like horror stories, but then there's also. I mean, it doesn't seem like it turned out to be a horror story for you. So, like, what was your experience like with that growing up? I mean, you hear people tell, like, oh, pastor kids are, like, the worst. Oh, my gosh. I think there's just – I think there's two spectrums to it. There's the pastor's kids that really are just out there. Yeah. And then there's the ones that are like me that 
kind of floated. That's how I feel like my, my experience was is I I grew up thinking, you know, you grow up and I'm sitting there going to church with my parents and I'm thinking I'm all right. And then the older I got, I realized, you know, I had to develop my own relationship. And my mom would even tell me that. She's like, yeah, you, you can't hang on by the coattail of me and that, you know, like you eventually one day you got to develop your own relationship with God. I'm like, was that a hard thing for you to like, because I, I, I I feel like I grew up as close to a pastor's kid as you could without your dad being a pastor. Right. Uh, we were always at the church. We basically lived at Southside. Right. And, like, there's, like, the horror story element of I got to see things that most people probably didn't, like, even adults got to see behind the scenes of the church. Right. But um, I felt like, for me, there was a... I grew up believing I was saved the entire time mm-hmm. because I could I could tell you Jonah and the whale story. I could recite all the VeggieTale movies you possibly could think yeah. of. Yeah, uh, like we were my my parents raised us to read the Bible, know how to read the Bible, uh, all these different little check marks of what it means to be like a good Christian. Right. So I was like, yeah, I'm good. But then when Kobe Tomlinson came into my life and he's like, yeah, like. Even the demons believe. Yeah. That rattled me because I was like, oh, frick. Like, yeah. So, like, me just doing this stuff isn't, an, like, I have to really, like, drill myself on if I really am a Christian or mm-hmm. if I'm just following my parents' lifestyle that they've they've built for themselves. Yeah. Mine was pretty similar, like, like honestly. That's how yeah. it really came to be for me. Like, I was the same way. I'm like you. I could quote VeggieTales back and forth. <laughs> You know, I was raised up on the VeggieTale movie shows, and I knew I was in Sunday school every morning. I could tell you every mm-hmm. Sunday school story, but you know, it was just like that. Somebody challenged me one day, like you know, say almost a similar tone, <laughs> like you know, almost similar message, like hey, even the you know demons, they they know Jesus, like yeah. you know, they they know about the Bible, they know they know everything, like just as much as you do. But what's your, where's your relationship at? Yeah, and that's what really challenged me. Was like, man, I never really thought about it like that. You know, like yeah. And so I really took a, a, the older I got, I really tried to focus on like, okay, what does it mean to build a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, like, what does that mean? And I had my battles, you know. Yeah. I think that's where I started seeing the the in and out, you know, like I, there'd be some Sundays I'd go to church and I'd be all up in service and I'd be ready to go. And there were some Sundays I'd be like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, it was a challenge for sure. Um but I, I think as far as the the horror stories go, man, I'm like you though. I've seen I've definitely <laughs> being a pastor's kid, you definitely get to see the ins and outs of a church and like man, like Yeah. It's it's different, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about it now. Maybe you you're having this experience too because you're in church leadership of they assume that because you're young, you don't know how like the church operates. Right. And I'm like, no, like well, I'm 20, I have 25 years of experience of seeing how this operates. Like, especially being at Southside, we went from like the corner of Oak Street to right the the big building in Lakeland, and like I I got to sit in on meetings that a kid definitely shouldn't be sitting in on, and I got to I don't know I I, I heard all my parents' conversations about like the changes that were happening at Southside mm-hmm. as they go from like a traditional to more contemporary and then like the battling youth pastors and just there was 
<laughs> there's just so much that I'm having like the people we have uh, in church leadership at the bridge some of them grew up in church but a good bit of them didn't mm-hmm. and so they're like yeah what does a worship pastor do like if you pay them and I'm like oh no there's a job there like, oh yeah there's a job for like we, yeah these people we could give them 40 hours a week and them have work to do and then even go beyond the 40 hours so like when me and Lenny was going through the, through the church of God they have what they call MIP and that's how you get ordained to be a minister and so in Georgia's MIP like their South Georgia program you have to go like to different churches yeah and like listen to like different lectures uh, they talk about church development stuff like that all that good stuff but then they let you tour the church and see the ins and outs of the church Man, like you'd be surprised. Like, yeah. I saw some places like they're paying and they're paying these people. Like, there's a media team, mm-hmm. there's a <clears throat> they've got sound team over there, they're paying, they've got worship leaders, they're paying, they've got marketing, they're paying. Like, it's like, holy cow, yeah. And like, I'm like, you that we do, I face the same thing, like, and especially, I'm sure you're like me, we're pretty mature for our age, you know, yeah. And so, they look at me being 23, they're like, oh, there's no way you know all about that. I'm thinking. I've seen it. Yeah. Like, this is this is how it is. And and if if you've ever been a church in God, the problem with church of God right now, or, or I say problem, is just how it is. You've got some that are really old school, yeah, like old school, old school, and then you've got some that are like hot, you know, on the new high tech. They're they got that marketing, they got all of it. Yeah. And so we're, I'd say our church is kind of in the middle of that. And like, are y'all going more to like high tech? We're trying. Like I'm, I'm, I've been really trying to push. Like even with our youth crew, like trying to do different stuff to push us towards, you know, doing some of the stuff these bigger churches are like church guys are doing, and kind of get out this old fashioned mindset, you know, yeah. like trying to go out there and serve a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's you get to see. Is the name change part of that of Refuge Church? Yeah. Okay. I, I, was that a hard thing to push for? It, it kind of was, honestly. Like, people really didn't like that at first. You know, they was like, oh, it's always been called Lakeland Church God. Because Lakeland yeah. Church, you know, that church had been there for like, man, that thing's been, I, I wish I knew the exact date. It's been there a while. Like, a while, a while. Um, and so when we got there, and Dad was like, hey, let's change the name. People were like, so, some people, were, of course, were like, yeah, let's do it. I like it. And then there were some that had been there forever that were like, no. Yeah. Uh, we're not doing that. And, and so, your dad was, he had, it wasn't too long after he came to Lakeland Church of God they changed the name right it was like a I think a year or so maybe yeah. like a year it wasn't long at all <clears throat> he changed that name and he did it for the simple fact he, he wanted people to realize you know like we're not gonna just have, be built on traditions you know I yeah. wanna make a change here we're gonna be a place of refuge for everybody in Lakeland like yeah. not just our friends not just our you know co-workers that we like you know everybody from the person that's on the street to the person that's in the business office yeah yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, a lot of the people at the bridge came from Alapa Hall First Baptist, mm-hmm. and that yeah, they they had a big like revival basically going on at Alapa Hall First Baptist, but all the new changes pissed a lot of the older, yeah, you know, more traditional crowd off, and you had a lot of the younger people being like, well, like you're you're not really giving us a place here to even serve anymore because you're not allowing us to grow, and uh, like they. The, the church was full and they wouldn't they had the money to add like a uh, build on to the building right and the older people were like no we're not gonna do that like you guys will leave anyways and and, the, and the, that just goes like that old like I said that traditional mindset like 
I think well, the older people get, like, they just want to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just how it is. They want to be comfortable. And they don't like change at all. Yeah. And so, even in our church, it's hard to get people like the older crowd to do anything. Like, they, yeah. it, it just is. You, even our just our older adults, they'd rather sit there and just kind of be fed every Sunday, listen to dad preach, versus actually getting out there and doing hands-on ministry. Yeah. And that, that's what kind of where we're at. Like, we're trying to push. Like, hey, let's go do this. Yeah. Let's go do that. And so we've got this ministry you can do. Yeah. And they're like. Oh, I don't want to do that ministry. <laughs> like we got so like right now, we've got a heavy influx of young adults, like yeah. super heavy influx. Like you've got me and my wife, and then there's probably about maybe ten more couples that are young adults. I don't know if you remember Mikey. Yep, Mikey goes I to our see church. Mikey's, yeah, Mikey goes to our church, and like mom didn't think about Mikey and all. Like we we love Mikey. And yeah. Mikey's a trip. The nicest Man. dressed person. Oh my god, dude! You see <laughs> some of the outfits he comes in, like yeah. Dude, he comes in like with the hat on, like he he dresses to impress when he comes in church, man. But like, mom thinks about those people, and we're like, we need a ministry for those young adults, and we're struggling. Like even now, we're struggling to find somebody. To be like, hey, I'll take the young adults, and we'll build like a real close community, community, community area, and build that in church. Yeah, we're struggling with that end, but so we're we're working on it. It'll it'll hopefully come to fruition. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when. As you're a kid, you're seeing your dad preach every Sunday. Like before you you got your call to ministry, I don't even know when that was yet. But uh, was there any thought that you'd be a pastor or a youth pastor or anything like that? Man, I had an idea because, like, the older I got, I mom then tried to push me into like, you know, why don't you go try to start serving somewhere in the church? So around when I was like. 11 or 12 you know started getting a little bit older getting to middle school mom wanted me to serve places I started working in children's church a little bit doing the, their sound and then helping out wherever well I noticed the kids really liked me and I liked being around kids you know it was it was it was neat and then around like 14 we had a guy come and preach a revival and he kind of like spoke to him he's like hey he pretty much told me straight up my face like you're gonna be a youth pastor like I can feel it and like mom and him had been always telling me like Andrew like you're really good with like youth and kids and so like it kind of built up that way and just people kept telling me and then I, I like I love being around the like the younger people because they're just the most moldable like yeah they're you can you can do a lot of impact on a kid's life at that age and so yeah. that's how it kind of came to be was really just people telling me like you know I can see it like you going to be a youth pastor like so yeah and I just kind of walked in it was there any like pushback to it though Honestly, I mean, not really. Not a lot of pushback. Maybe even from myself. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I constantly would doubt myself and, like, you know, oh, am I really qualified to be a youth pastor? Because, like, I actually started, you know, before I was an actual certified ordained minister, I did youth pastor when I was, like, 16, 17. Yeah. Like, I was, we was carting from football practice. I would load my truck up yep. full of football players, and we'd go, like, roll up to the church because they would feed they would feed every night before we went had a service and so like to the football players was like yeah that's a free meal let's yeah. go and they cook good so we'd go there and, and they'd eat and I'd go minister to these people and I think the biggest pushback is I'm sitting there ministering these kids of my age but I'm struggling too like yeah. you know and so I, I think that's the biggest I, pushback yeah I felt that <laughs> like that's the biggest I think that's the biggest struggle of ministry period in my opinion yeah. like even this past Wednesday, I was ministering, and I still felt that. I was like, man, am I really qualified to do this? Like, 
and stay where I'm at is wild. Yeah, so do you feel like, because uh, I, I definitely felt that in high school of I would load the van up because I had a minivan. I'd load the minivan up with all my friends and we'd go to the Bridges Youth Group or we'd go do a Bible study or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had this group of like Andre and Kobe uh, and a few others who they wanted to know like the Bible. They wanted to understand Christianity. They like they were interested. Right. And the whole time I'm like, yeah, but like I, I'm 16 too. Like I don't even, I'm, I'm figuring this stuff out. Right. And so like we all have questions about this. Like I, I, I'm constantly asking questions. And I'm trying to understand the Bible myself, but then having your friends have the like questions as well, and you're trying to communicate this stuff that you're learning as you go, mm-hmm. is just like a that was a constant challenge that even like now, yeah, I'm still struggling with. But I feel like it's as you get older and you have more years of experience, you're right. like some of those questions you struggled with in high school, you got some answers right. to, or at least you know how to like work through them well I, and I think that honestly help, helps the ministry like people being open like I'd rather somebody be open and be honest than yeah. like that's helped me like like my youth kind of relate to me a little bit because I'll tell them straight up like listen I struggle with, I struggle with the same stuff y'all did yeah. like I'll be up front and honest with them and they know it like I tell, I even tell them like I'm not qualified to be back here I'm just <laughs> doing God's work you know yeah. and so I think it's really it helps if you're open like that yeah. I mean there is there's questions like there's questions all the time they ask me like and we get the kids like that weren't raised up in church they're not going to Sunday school yeah. so they're asking all kind of questions like the wild questions yeah for the other, <laughs> example the other day I was doing certain like, I was doing a devotion with our youth and one of my kids is out of nowhere I like, had nothing to do with the lesson raised his hand goes so if there was like the Bible why was where why in the dinosaurs in the Bible and I'm thinking oh my gosh how do I answer this like I looked at him, I just kind of told him, I was like, "It's a good question." <laughs> I don't know, I haven't researched it enough. I said, I, "Well, I said, I just challenged him. I said, since you have such a good question, that's a good chance for you to get closer to God. Why don't you go research, <laughs> yeah. research on your own?" So, I think it helps when you're open with like, "Hey, I'm still yeah. trying to figure this thing out too." So. Yeah. Was there ever a point though when you're like doing ministry while you're in high school where you're like, "I just want to be a teenager." Like, oh yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Because you are, you are in a different uh, situation than me in the sense of like you, uh, you're the pastor's kid, right? So you have those expectations, right? But then you also are the pastor's kid who you can preach, and right. like you're you're a leader, and so then you have those expectations too of like that come from your own self. Was there ever moments where you're like, I would love to just go to a party? And not worry about any of this stuff. Yeah, and that's where a lot of my struggles came from. Is me wanting to be a teenager, like wanting yeah. to be just a normal teenager. Um, you know. And the good thing is, I, my mom was that person. Yeah, she she's man. I'm blessed with a good mom. Like she she wasn't one of them hover moms that like controlled everything I did. Yeah. So she was like, okay, you want to go do that? Go experience it, and then come back <laughs> tell me how, how it goes. And so she'd let me do it. You know, and. There's a lot of times where I just wanted to be like one of the one of the unknown like struggles of a pastor's kid. I feel like that nobody really sees a pastor kid has to do so much stuff in ministry. Like, <laughs> like when I get there on like even now when I get there on Sunday mornings, 
I get there. Sunday school starts at 9.45 at our church. I got to get the graphics ready. I got to get the music sheets ready. Me and my wife, we're pulling stuff out. We're getting the bulletin board ready. We're, we're asking Dad, what are you preaching on today so I can make a good graphic for his sermon? Like, and we're doing all this stuff right before church. And then people just kind of walk in, you know, they're going to get ready to listen to the message. And me and Lenny's still scrambling around yeah. trying to get all this stuff together. <laughs> and we always think, dang, what, what would it be like if we could just sit in that, sitting there and just have a normal, just go to church and listen to Dad preach? Yeah. And so, but the, I know what you're saying as far as, too, like being a teenager, there was times, like, especially when I got in college. Yeah. That was my big, that was my big roller coaster uh, where I wanted to be just a college kid. I wanted to do what everybody else was doing. And so I would go to the bar. Like, yeah. One time, my mom was. I. It was after a VSU game. She was like, "It was a VSU game." One of my buddies, I won't name his name because you you know him and okay. a lot of people probably know him now. Um, and we we was at the game. He goes, "Hey, I'm gonna go to the bar." Like after this, me and some of my friends, you want to go? I'm like, I want to be around my friends, but I, I know I don't need to really be in the bar. But I want to be around my friends and be a normal teenager. Yeah. So I called mom because I didn't know what to do because I, I leaned on my mom for a lot. I said, "Mom, can I go to the bar?" She's like, kind of like, first thing she said was, what? What did yeah. you ask me? And I said, can I get the bar with my friends? She's like, really, Andrew? You know the answer to that question. I'm like, but yeah, but I won't, I'm not going to drink. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to go there and socialize. She goes, whatever. Go. Go. <laughs> go ahead. Go. She's like, go ahead. See how you feel in the morning. Yeah. So I go. And then sure enough, <laughs> I get home. I lay down. And I just feel awful about it. I'm like. Maybe I shouldn't have been around that scene and that crowd, you know. Yeah. And I'd, I'd overthink it. Like, <laughs> oh. And it never failed. And that was the first time I did it. And yeah. then I ended up doing it again. Yeah. And so there was a constant struggle of just wanting to be the teenager. like, Yeah. And still trying to develop my relationship with God and do right. Man, yeah, that was a big struggle, honestly. Yeah. So, man, you go to – when you – uh. You went to college after high school. Mm-hmm. Didn't you? You moved somewhere, right? I went to Bruton Parker. It's like in the middle of nowhere. Okay, is that Georgia? Or? <laughs> it's in Georgia. It's, okay. uh, do you know where Vidalia, Georgia is? That sounds familiar. All right. Uh, try to think of Kind of around the Statesboro. Okay. It's around the Statesboro area. About It's probably about a good 45 minutes from Statesboro. Yeah. It's in a town called Mount Vernon. It was a private Christian school. You played baseball right played baseball there for okay. a year and yeah it was literally in the middle of nowhere like we had to drive 15 minutes to go do anything like okay. if I wanted Taco Bell I had to go drive 15 minutes that yeah. was my lifeblood when I was in college Taco Bell <laughs> I'd go there all the time man okay so uh, with the baseball career mm-hmm. was there like a hope or a goal to eventually pro- play professionally or is that like I'm just gonna do this in college but I'll go do something else after that. Or yeah, like, I think it? that was the goal. Was I wanted to my my all my all time goal was I wanted to play college ball because like nowadays you know if somebody's gonna go play professional ball like these kids yeah. are coming out you're looking like natural born athletes <laughs> like they you, they're like oh yeah he can go play yeah and and foot and heck football is the easiest one to do it because there's so many people on the team with baseball right you only gotta have about like eighteen people yeah max so like your chances are really low to actually go play professional ball. So when I got in high school, that's when I kind of realized, you know, I'm definitely not good enough to go play professional ball. But I could definitely probably go play some college ball somewhere. So my goal was like, all right, let's go play some college ball. Just say I played it because I want to see the experience of it. Everybody talks about it. And I love baseball enough I can do it. 
but then also let's plan for the future too. Yeah. Because you know, I'm not going to play baseball after college. Is I feel like this is maybe more so with football. Uh, but granted, I don't. Baseball is probably the sport I know the least. Um, with football, it seems like a lot of people's goal is to play college because college people love more than the actual like NFL. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Is and that how well, it is with baseball? Or well, also the, there's a huge chance to go play college football. Like there's so many opportunities to go play. You got a long snapper. You got a kicker. You got all these positions that you got to feel. Man, like a college team will have about like hundred something kids on their roster. Like, and they'll cut off. They'll cut some, and they'll leave some. Like, they won't take all of them to a game. Like, they'll leave some at the house. But like, there's such a big. I did chance. not know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So like they, like when it comes to college football, like they have a dress out schedule. Like, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna get to dress out this game. If your name's on this list, stay in the dorms, get your homework done, practice if you can. We're gonna go to the game. Like, and if if you make the cut. Yeah, there's just there's a huge amount, like a big chance for you to go play college football. So, if you're remotely good, we can find you somewhere to play college football, like somewhere. And it may not be like a UGA or a Florida, but there's your smaller schools. Yeah, like we sent, we sent what seven kids this past year to Thomasville University over there. They just started a football <laughs> team, like literally just started a college football team. So we sent seven, like seven of our kids go play. That's crazy. Okay. So, with you knowing it's going to be like a, a, just a college thing with playing baseball, was your were you like all in still, or was it kind of one foot in, one foot out? I was definitely all in for sure until – You got injured, right? Well, until I got – honestly, I saw myself fading out before I got injured. Like, oh, okay. I got up there, played the year. And I went to a Christian school. So my mindset, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this might be pretty cool. I'm going to a Christian school. They got church services that we got a schedule to go to. That was when I was really trying to develop my faith still, too, in the middle of all of it. And I was like, yeah, let's go to a Christian school. Not yeah. really, And knowing in my head, there's definitely going to be people there that ain't going because it's Christian school. Yeah. I knew that. But I guess I didn't know to the extent of how bad it was going to be. Yeah. And so pretty much the whole baseball team, man, they – like we threw, they threw parties behind the baseball field, like literally behind our college baseball field. <laughs> yeah, because we weren't allowed to have parties in the dorms, and it was so easy to get caught. They would drive back behind the baseball field. And I've got videos on my phone still, like where I went out there just being nosy. Like they would throw down back there and like drinking and all. Like they was, I mean, it was bad. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, I think when I I interviewed Kobe Tomlinson, he's the like principal at Highland Christian Academy. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking about Christian education and all that stuff, and I was like, "Yeah, but I would want my kid to be around non-Christian. I want them to like be challenged in their faith and hear from different point of views." And he's like, "Yeah, the biggest misconception is that a Christian school has a bunch of Christians in it." He's like, "I'd say most of our kids are not Christian, and we're constantly having to have talks with them about, you know, whatever's going on in their home life, or just." He's like, "It's it's like a public school. It's just." From top down, you're having like a Christian worldview being taught, right? Um, but the kid that doesn't change that the kids no. have their own like journey they have to go on. Yeah, these kids, yeah. Yeah, these kids they, they got their like like I said the baseball team I was there with man they, <laughs> they want to read the Bible together yeah okay. <laughs> okay you try to go read the Bible with them jokers they they looked at you like what uh-huh. um, so I when I saw myself fading out it was because like 
honestly, like, I was generally, there's me and, like, maybe one other guy that was there to play baseball and get a Christian education, like, with yeah. a Christian worldview. You know, the rest of them, they were just there to play ball. Yeah. Like, and so I found myself, like, not being able to fit in with that crowd, and I just didn't enjoy, like, about in high school, I enjoyed playing with my teammates. Like, baseball is such an individual game. Like, there's so much pressure on one individual to perform really well at that moment. Yeah. If you're not connected with your teammates and feel supported by your teammates, it's going to make you play worse. And so I found myself, like, I felt like I wasn't really, like, clicking with the team. I really didn't feel like they liked me because I was, you know, trying to live different. And so I kind of just faded out. I was just like, you know, I don't feel like nobody, I don't, I don't love it up here. I don't love playing baseball up here with these guys. And I was like, maybe it's time to put it down. And then I had my injury. I was like, okay, okay, God, this is this is this is you're you're telling me it's time to put it down. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Because I still had the opportunity to play afterwards. Like, okay. The college coach he pulled me in his office. He was like, hey, um, you can do rehab up here. At, you can stay at school up here and do rehab for a year with us. We got a rehab program. Um, we'll rehab you. You know, you stay here and play. And I kind of tried to tell him like, nah. I don't I don't love it anymore, man. Like <laughs> this ain't for me. And so Dang. Was that I admit, I I definitely wasn't involved in sports nearly as much as you or your family are. Because our family we weren't uh my parents weren't big into sports. Like right. my dad was way more into drugs and alcohol than he ever was into anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh so then like when we were coming up as kids Sports wasn't like a a huge thing in our house. We I couldn't tell you, yeah, if college football teams were at all until I my best friend Bryce Borf. Yeah, I'd go to his house and they have like a whole room painted Florida Gators. Yeah, he, they got that Florida Gator card. Oh, they yeah. still got it. Yeah, and uh, so Bryce would be like the influence of sports that like I had in my life. But mm-hmm. uh, we just didn't sports just wasn't a big thing in our household. But there was a time when I was a kid where I fell in love with basketball. And then going through middle school and hitting like this point of like I was de- going through depression for the, like the first time in my life, and I was also like this is around the time where I'm like questioning if I'm even a Christian, right? And I just I had some bad experiences with some coaches, and I was like I don't want I don't love this sport anymore, right? Like the kid who was like I started playing late, caught up, was like doing pretty good for someone who started late right and uh like going home every day and like loving basketball and like playing and practicing constantly and then getting to this point where i'm like i don't i don't, I don't want to go to practice anymore right like i this i don't want to watch the game anymore mm-hmm. i'm not into it I, that was like a hard moment in my life just because it was like the first thing i felt like i really loved that then I just fell out of love with. Yeah. Was that, like, what was your experience? Because you grew up with it. Super similar. Very okay. super similar. Like, for me to, like, go all of a sudden where, I mean, I loved baseball. Like, I could be on baseball diamond, like, 24-7. Like, yeah. I loved it. And it's pretty a similar story. Like, I had a coach. Yeah. The college coach up there, he wasn't, like, he didn't really, like, just love me. Like, he really wasn't too fond of me, honestly. Like, he, you know, I wasn't just this super talented guy yeah. at the time. Like, he knew I was going to get developed to be pretty good and so he really didn't develop me he didn't take that time with me yeah and so i kind of had to kind of work with my own self and develop my own self and with the coach not helping me as much i felt like i just i was like oh, man this is this sucks like 
I don't, and I felt myself just not loving the game anymore. And yeah, I went through a yeah. similar spiral. Like I went through, I was, I was like laying in my dorm like depressed. Like yeah, there was one day I will never forget. Um, they had practice, and I generally just didn't want to go that day. I said I'm not going. I remember calling dad and telling him like dad, I was being because dad was on my sports guy to go test dad. I'm, I hate baseball right now. Like I'm ready. Like I'm done. I don't want to go to practice today. He's like, well, you need to go. You know, you're getting paid to do that. You know. You know. I said, okay. I hung up the phone. And I just slept. I went to sleep. And I skipped practice. And yeah. that was the first time in my life I've ever skipped a practice on intentionally. Yeah. And I remember waking up thinking I was so like depressed. Like I was like, dude, this. Why? Like, why do I feel like this? You know, like I, I've always loved baseball. So why do I feel like this now? And I, yeah, I had to figure out. You know, with a lack of support, that's really what it was. Is I just fell out of the love of the game. So, yeah, as you're saying that, it's, like, hitting me a little bit of, like, how much of an impact a coach can make in your life. Because I had two good coaches in basketball who made me fall in love with the sport. Mm -hmm. And then one bad coach who just... Ruined it. Yeah. And I feel like Zarius has probably posted something about that issue before of, like... Yeah. uh, Of just really being intentional about being a coach. I feel like Brett Rogers always from afar it seemed like he did a good he job of a that. He was a good example of it. Yeah. Were you under him a lot? Or? A lot. Yeah, I was. Okay. He man, he was a great example of coach. Like coaches really can make or break a kid. Like if if you're not careful, you can ruin a kid and you can make them hate sports and even life because yeah. like like they'll be unconfident in themselves. You know like You've got to be careful with them kids out there, man. And you can have really bad coaches. I've had really bad coaches, and I've had really good coaches. And I, the good ones, I had a good a lot of good memories with the good ones, but the bad coach memories stick out a lot more than they do the good coach memories because I just it was, yeah. it was it just kind of scarred me a little bit, man. Yeah. Like it, and it can scar a kid. A coach can really uh, make or break a kid's future. So what would? Uh what would be like the description of a bad coach? Like what, what are they doing wrong? Man, I'd say a description of a bad coach is definitely don't have a lot of grace. You know, okay. you've got to be really patient with kids. And if you're a bad coach, I think most bad coaches aren't really patient. They're not willing to work with kids. Yeah. Cause like you're going to get the kids that they're just being honest. They're just not going to play. They're not yeah. that good, but they want to be there and they want to get better. And you got to take the time to actually get them better. And maybe they might just mess around and play a little bit. Yeah. You've got to be able to work with them. A lot of the bad coaches, they don't want to work with them kids. They'll just ignore them and just let them do what they want to do and whatever. They joke on them and joke about them. And so, it's honestly, I just think it really comes down to patience. Like, you got to have a lot of patience to be a good coach. Like, yeah. Because you're going to have kids that are really bad, and you've got to take that time and develop them. Like, and – if you do, you I mean there's there's a reward to it too. I mean, I've seen kids that are not good at all come yeah. in, and then all of a sudden, a few years later, after a good coach has really worked with them and took time, they was a good athlete. Like it's possible, yeah, with a good coach. So, yeah, wow, okay. And so, I feel like one of the things I came across in the last few years is. A lot of people around our age graduating or finishing college or finishing high school, playing mm-hmm. sports their entire lives. Yeah. Suddenly not playing sport. That that you know they'd spent 
I don't know, 12 years working hard on. Right. And it take them through like an identity crisis. What is, did you ever struggle with that? And then two, like, I guess, yeah, how'd you, if you did, how'd you deal with that? I kind of did. I'd say I kind of did. Like, because you, like you said, it's 12 years. You spend your life devoting hard work, time to like, and all of a sudden you just quit playing y'all, it. Y'all practice like it's a job. It is a job, man. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you get to college. Like, if you get to go play in the college level, yeah. Oh my gosh! Like you don't have time to make friends. Like yeah. your friends are your baseball teammates. Like I barely, rarely got to see anybody that wasn't a baseball player. And so it is a job. You go to school, then you go practice. See, in high school, you have a little more free time, like you know. And then you know your college college classes are hard. You know, high school classes are especially today. They're not very hard. Like, you can do your homework in 30 minutes. And so I'd get it done really fast. I'd get my homework done in school. So after practice, I'd have time to go hang out with friends. But when I got in college, it was a job. And then all of a sudden, you just kind of fall in love with the game, and it's you just notice it's, it's getting harder for you. Yeah. And so you finally decide, hey, maybe this ain't for me. And then you drop it. But you've built your whole life on that. Like, like kids, like people know me simply, like from baseball. Like yeah. Baseball was my thing, you know, and – for me to just all of a sudden not have that thing anymore in my life, I was like, well, dang, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> what are, what am I going to be now? Because people knew me as a baseball player, and people will know kids like, oh, he was a good football player. He was a good basketball player. Well, why did he stop playing if he was that good, you know? And now you're like, okay, so what's my label now? Yeah. What can I be good at that, you know, people will know me for? You know, And so I had to really find that. And my job was to be just a good youth pastor and be a now be a good teacher and a good coach, honestly. Yeah. So it's, I think people go through identity crisis because it's you got to find a new like it's almost like you got to find a new label of something yeah. you can be known for and good at. So yeah, yeah that's got to. I, I I struggled with the identity crisis with feeling called to the ministry at like what fourteen years old. Mm-hmm not being involved in any clubs at school any sports just solely focused on okay well i'm caught i can't go to seminary yet so i i'll go ahead and get ahead of the game i'll read every like theology book i can find i'll do any internship i can get at the church and doing all that stuff and then getting to a a place to where it's like okay you gotta make a decision about college and i was like frick i didn't i forgot i definitely didn't try my hardest in school so my grades weren't the best mm-hmm. didn't really understand how to get scholarships didn't uh the schools i was looking at they, they just the tuition was insane and i was like on a pastor salary who can pay for this like not a lot of people <laughs> yeah not a lot and so i was like i got gotta figure out another route to become a pastor and there was a moment where i like i'm falling in love with my career at the shop uh, building cabinets and I'm there's some issues going on at the church where I felt like uh, I just wasn't getting the training to be a pastor that I wanted right and I started questioning if like that even like what if I had spent all this time training to be a pastor and like reading all these books sitting down with pastors for like hours and hours every week like mm-hmm. taking whatever I can for nothing right and having to come to terms with like it doesn't matter like 
Well, if God's called you to be a pastor, he's called you to be a shepherd and to care for the flock. Right. And that means you got to do that whether you have the title and position or if you don't. Right. And then also, so like the question ended up for me being, okay, well, are you doing with other people in your life? Mm-hmm. And then me like, I'm like, okay, well, I got to go like all in on this. Yeah. And so just invading everybody in my life's like personal space and be like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting involved. I'm going to help, like, care for you and be there for all that stuff. And then, two, realizing, like, it doesn't matter what label I have in life. I have to realize my identity is in Jesus first and foremost. Like, I'm a, I'm a child of God, and that's the most important thing at the right. end of the day. Right. Like, not what career I have or job I have or education stat. Like, yeah. That's... That's got to be the most important thing. Yeah. Like, and... As far as like, I think I was had a similar kind of experience, and you know, I, what I had to kind of learn is that you've got ministry, yeah, and then you've got the sub, you've got subcategories like you've got your pastors, yeah, you've got your worship leaders, like you've got all this, 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 that, and other. And I think when people hear the word ministry, they automatically think of pastor. Like, yep, pastor. Okay, so if you want me to do ministry, you want me to go stand behind a pulpit. Yep. No, <laughs> that is not what that means. Like, you can. You can work at a car shop and just place. You can like just play some worship music in your car shop and like that. Yeah. And you talk to people about Jesus a little bit. That's ministry. Like it's crazy. Or just, my, my boss, he's got two sons who are pastor. Like one's a like a lead pastor at a church. The other one's like associate pastor. And then the other one's like he's went to like the mission field in Kazakhstan, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. even know how to pronounce that one. Yeah, but uh. <laughs> Like people, like his kids, are what you think of when you think of ministry, right? But he's the one who's probably the most like involved in ministry, and he owns a cabinet shop. And it's just because of how he lives his day. Like I've learned more from him than any of the pastors that I sat in the office with, and it's just because he was doing daily life, like as a Christian, trying to figure out how to follow Jesus as he's dealing with these business deals or. You know, up and downs of the economy, having yeah. to deal with some like just developing even like uh, employees and trying to like take someone who doesn't know anything about tools, just mm-hmm. in, like they don't even know how to read tape measure, taking someone like that to being able to go and measure a house. And it's ministry like in your own life, like yeah. putting ministry, find an area. And that's why I'd like, even when I tell my youth, I'm like, Find something you're good at, and find some, and just put Jesus in it. Yeah, find a way, try a way to put Jesus in it. Yeah, like you don't, you don't gotta preach. Like yeah. and like and that, that they're mind blown by that. But yeah, like that's what I've even had to learn in my own like, even from my coaching perspective. Like I try to find a way to show God's love in my coaching, whether that be me showing love to the kid who's not very good, you know, and trying to develop him, or you know, taking care of a kid and taking him home after practice. That's might be my little way and we just play some Christian rapping away. Yeah. Whatever it may be, like and there's all kind of ministry areas you can yeah. put in your life. With the cool one of the coolest things I've seen is there was a guy so when he was doing the MIP stuff and having to do all that for name minister. We went to this church and he was talking about their different ministries at their church. They had a car ministry. And I'm thinking, okay, so this is like open the door for cars at church, whatever. No, they had a guy, a mechanic at their church that would go to like the people that couldn't afford it and yeah. fix their cars for free. Like, yeah. That was his ministry. I'm thinking, holy cow, 
that is like the coolest thing in the world. Like, yeah, I heard about a church in Atlanta doing it's uh, one of those who are involved with like Lecrae and them. That was the first time I ever heard about a church doing something like that, and I was I was like, yeah, why why did we not think of this? Like, yeah, (laughs) why have we not tried this down here? Of there's this it's like Blueprint Church in Atlanta. They have all kinds of programs like that where they're they're fixing up old cars and then giving to people who don't have uh, rides to work and you're just like that's uh, yeah it's just like one of those very brilliant ideas <laughs> and it, it, yeah. it's crazy we don't think about it because like ministry in the day is simply just putting others before yourself you know yeah. serving you know and there's so many ways you can serve like <laughs> yeah. from giving somebody a ride to fixing her car there's just a lot of different ways and it's crazy that we haven't thought like you're starting to see it now a lot of churches they're mm-hmm. they're getting kind of very creative in ministries like you've got I mean I've seen, when we were on that MIP I've seen we've seen a lot of them and I, I wish I could remember them all they had a lot of different creative ministries and it was really just based on their hometown yeah. you know what their demographics were you know if they had a lot of homeless like there was one in Brunswick where they had a home like the church had a built in like little homeless shelter kind of in there for the yeah. homeless people because they had a very large homeless population and so like that's how they served and they had people that worked there, and so it's re- ministry really just figuring out what you're good at in life, and then figuring out your surroundings, you know, and figuring out how can I serve in that area. Yeah. So with you've ha- you and Laney having to visit all the churches. Yeah. What are some good things you saw, and then some things that you're like, oh, I'm scared. There's a bad trend in the church that could be potentially dangerous. I think some of the good things you like to see that okay these churches have a process and they've got this mapped out but one of the things that kind of always worried me is you kind of get the personal aspect out of it you yeah. know I think that there was some of them like there was it's almost like it was too much of a process that you didn't have any time to actually develop a personal relationship with other people and you it's hard to lead somebody to Christ if you don't have a personal relationship with him yeah and so i think that was the biggest fear of some of the stuff i had like i even told lenny there was one church that was like he was huge like <laughs> they was huge they had like i think he said they had a thousand some people serving in their like in ministry like yeah they had i mean out the woozah people serving yeah and they had a process for everything and he, he like his lecture was on talking about ministries that day and having a process for everything have a process for every ministry and I'm sitting there thinking, and he's going over this stuff. I'm thinking, okay, well, where's my time to develop personal time with these jokers? Because like they're not going to listen to me. Yeah, if I'm not if I don't have a relationship with them. Yeah, and I think that's a a constant thing. Uh, that's a constant battle where you you want to be as organized as possible in ministry, and you want to have a process. Yeah. But at the same time, you got to have a little flux where you know you can. Hey, let's talk about something. Yeah. Let's, people let's are personal. people. Yeah. Let's let's be people. For a little bit, <laughs> yeah. You know? That's. I love that you said that. That's one of the things me in Berlin we, we talk about a lot is uh, visiting some of these because uh, the bridge of Southern Baptist. I don't really claim that the denomination thing there is yeah a mess. Yeah, uh, but uh, the bridge is like even the bridge is loosely Southern Baptist. Like, yeah, we we pay our dues, and I think that's about it. Yeah, I don't know what you're saying. We, we're, we're Pentecostal, but like. Dad calls our church Babacostal. Like, that's okay. his nickname for it. Like we're he's like we're we're very loosely, yeah, 
loosely in the past. Like it's not like wearing skirts and wearing the BS and all. That. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, but one of the things that we've we noticed in some of like our friends' churches that are huge and they have like from the outside looking in, you're like, I want my church to be like that. Like yeah. I got. I would love for the bridge to have a hundred volunteers and like us not have to worry about who's serving and what ministry and have people that looks like is excited to come to church. Mm -hmm. But then we visited some of these churches and we're like sitting there in worship and we're like, this is the most impersonal thing ever. Like as had, there's a trend of trying to be so production oriented that you lose sight on the community that you're building. Right. And like, you can have, what, 300 people at your services every Sunday, but if those people don't know each other, they're not doing life together, then those people are going to eventually fall out. And they're not going to, they're not going to stay on track to follow Jesus because you're not building that tight knit group around, around them to help end those hard moments of life that are going to come. Yeah. Because in the day, a church is, a body of believers that are trying very much trying to be Christians together. Yes. Like having a family of Christians you can turn to. Yeah. If you're not developing the family aspect, if these people are just coming every Sunday just to do something or just to sit there, then you're not you're not really developing, you know, the body of Christ in a sense, you know. Yeah. And that's where like it looks good on the outside when you see all these people have these big numbers, but that's where those biggest problems are. That, you know. Yeah. That's why I don't know if you I don't know if you keep up. I like to keep up with this guy. He's a Christian rapper, and he does these vlogs on YouTube where he talks about, like, different scandals and problems or different topics in the church. The Ruslan? Yes. Yeah, okay. I keep up with him. I like watching this stuff. Yeah. And there was one time he talked about, I guess, like, the Hillsong, you know, yep. that whole scandal ordeal. And, like, that's, some of the, that's the stuff that's, you're going to deal with in the bigger yeah. numbers, you know, if you don't develop that personal relationship. Hillsong... Berlin definitely gets tired of me talking about that. Of Carl Lentz is one of those guys that like he has screwed up a lot, especially like with his marriage and all. Yeah. But I definitely like I hate the um, I hate some of the things that have been brought against him because I'm genuinely rooting for him and mm -hmm. like I I feel like he was very gifted and he's one of those past like. I came from the reformed, heavy on theology, like, yeah. device, like, at that time in my life, I would not consider the Church of God a Christian. Like, right. we we're so, like, guarded against any other groups who in the church who thought differently than us. And it changed when I listened to Justin Bieber explain the gospel, and I was like, oh, he, he did it better than we do it. And yeah. he's not from my tribe. He's from... Somebody else. Yeah. And like he's like connected to, I know he doesn't go to Hillsong, but he's like connected to Hillsong a little bit and Carl Lentz and yeah. you know. So then I was like, I'm gonna actually take the time to listen to someone from a different point of view. So yeah. I started like reading some Carl Lentz and listening to some of the stuff going on at Hillsong before it imploded. Yeah. And uh, being like very encouraged and being like, oh, no, I got, I see what God's doing here. Yeah. But then uh. There's an, the one that really stood out for me was Rich Wilkerson Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, down in Miami. And, I mean, hearing him preach the gospel every week, because mm -hmm. I was, like, listening to the sermons every week at work, being mind-blown because the entire 
for the longest time, I was like, people who are of the assembly of God mm-hmm. are heretics. And then there are stereotypes that we had in the Reformed world of like, they don't, they're too big on the spirit. They don't know the Bible. And I'm listening to this guy preach every week. I'm like, no, he knows his Bible. Yeah. Like, y'all are very, like, disconnected uh, with the word. And it's just like this misconception that we had in the Reformed community. And then even, it was mind-blowing because I heard him quote guys that I read. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it, like, he sees us as brothers and sisters, but we don't see them. Mm-hmm. And, like, it breaking some of those walls I had built up. Um, yeah. it, that's like a trend nowadays. Like, I was the same way. Like, growing up Church of God, like, you know, Church of God, we, we, you know, they're not big on, they don't believe in drinking, you know. Yeah. And so, like, we always had this stereotype when we looked at Baptist people, like, oh, they like to drink. You know, oh, <laughs> they're, they're in that way. You know, they're Christians. You know, <laughs> so I grew up, like, having that mindset that I, the older I've got, I've realized everybody's got their own relationship. Yeah. It's, God's going to speak to them a different way. They feel okay with it, and that's on them. That's just yeah. them in the relationship. And so, but it, there's that there's that stereotype when you're yeah. growing up as a kid in church. Like, I've got a funny story. Like, we had a kid the other day. We was talking about like I was talking about. I was a youth pastor at a church of God. And he's he goes to a Baptist church. He goes Church of God. He said, "You talking like the crazy folks over there?" <laughs> he said, "Yeah." He said, "Oh." What your church of God? I'm like, what's wrong with that? Like, we're, we both are Christians. He goes, I just always thought we were supposed to like hate like the other denominations outside of our <laughs> yeah. church. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. But I knew where he was coming from because I'm thinking when I grew up, I was the same way. Like, I thought yeah. the other denominations just didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. But like, I went to Southside one time and I loved it. Yeah. I was like, oh, I love this church. Like, this is this is cool. So like, we agree on way more than and there's probably. It's funny that uh, you grew up thinking like the Baptists had the issue with drinking because we always thought that was the Methodist. Yeah. Like we, that was a, a common joke in the pulpit is the Methodists are the ones out drinking constantly and like mm-hmm. we're the ones who are like all like buttoned up and we have this good image. Yeah. So it's, it's funny that, that that's another denomination thought we were the ones drinking. Uh, but then too, uh, so this is where I'm kind of confused on the Church of God. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between y'all and the Assemblies of God, or are y'all the same? We're pretty much like you might as well say we're pretty much the same. Honestly, okay. I, it's more of politicy stuff. If okay, anything, just like how the, it's set up. Like we've got like our district and our state and our overseers and all that. I think Assembly God is just set up a little bit different politicy wise. But like as far as beliefs and values, like. We're the same, like pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. Because okay. I've got a buddy, a coach, our, one of our coaches actually on our coach staff, Omnville. His dad is a Summit God pastor. Okay. So I, I get to hear his point of view and stuff all the time. Like, we're pretty much exactly the same. Like, okay. As far as speaking in tongues and all that. Like, yeah. What would, same. from your perspective, what's the misconception people have about the church of God? I'd assume it's partly the, the crazy thing the crazy thing oh yeah I get that all the time they're like so our coach staff they're all the time making jokes like they're like y'all a bunch of snake holders y'all holding snakes and walking around and on top of ceilings and chairs and stuff I'm yeah. like you know it's not like that every Sunday you know? <laughs> <laughs> we have normal services where we just walk in and listen to the preacher and then go home yeah like, 
you know it's not that every Sunday so I think that's the biggest misconception I think is like oh we, they run around on chairs every Sunday and when you go there you're gonna hear like and even when I used to bring people to my church like friends and stuff they heard that and they was like I'm kind of nervous I don't know what I want to hear when people speak in tongues or anything I'm thinking well, I grew up around it this ain't nothing you know uh, dude, growing up Baptist not really even having visited another church and then going to a church of God for the first time scared to death I, I prayed to God to get and it was one of the like backwood uh, church of gods I can't it was somewhere close to Homerville because the pa- the youth pastor there he he's at uh, like Trinity Baptist or something like that in mm-hmm. Homerville now which I don't understand like I guess he's Bapticostal but um I remember going there in high school because my dad was friends with the youth pastor and they're having like this youth revival and uh, the youth pastor wanted to meet me because I had heard that I got the call to ministry. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. It's my first time ever going to a church like that. And then they, New Vision Church of God was there too. Yeah. Uh, their band was amazing. They're by far like, they're. They've got, I know that a lot of people that do their worship now, they've got a great worship crew over there. Forever in my mind, I have like, the utmost respect for their worship team because they are so talented and gifted. The worship uh, leader is actually our chaplain for the football team. Okay, he's, yeah. he's cool. Um, but like they they played the music that night, and then I don't even remember if someone preached or what. But they decided to bring me and this other kid up who had got called to the ministry and pray over us. And. I had started seeing, like, this was, like, around the altar call time, and people were already, like, hollering and stuff like that. I was like, okay, like, this is crazy as it gets. Like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. But then people started passing out. And that, like, I had to step over people to get to the altar. And yeah. I was like, oh, God, what is what is this? And <laughs> it's they, a battlefield they, out here. <laughs> they, they told me and the other guy, kid to hold hands, and they're going to pour oil on us and pray over us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oil? We don't do that in the Southern. Like, mm-hmm. That's a very like uh, secret thing that gets done very rare to the point we don't even know that it's happening mm-hmm. in Baptist churches. Yeah. And uh, so they start praying and speaking in tongues. And this first time I've ever heard speaking in tongues, I'm like, what in the frick is going on? And people are hollering all over this church. Yeah. People are passed out. And... I'm standing up there, and he's like, all right, I'm going to start like praying over you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm just going to grip this man's hands as tight as I can, mm-hmm. and I'm not going down. Mm-hmm. And I like, I, I got super tense, and I was like, whatever he's saying, the guy praying over. So I was like, I'm just going to focus on not falling out. Mm-hmm. I do not want to be the guy who falls out. Right. And so he starts hitting us with the oil. And he hits me in the gut. I'm like, oh, that's why they're, they ain't, they ain't falling out because it's spirit. They're falling out because this man is hitting you hard. Yeah. And then when we're like, the guy that I'm holding hands with, he eventually like lets go, and I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm I'm just standing there. I'm I'm assuming I'm the only one up there now, mm-hmm. and I don't know what happened to him. When we're finally done, I I open my eyes and this kid is out on the floor. And I'm having to step over him to get back to my seat, and I get to my seat and like that. I'm I'm going to the car. But I'm scared that me going to the car, people are going to see that yeah. and chase me out to the car. Yeah. Forever. And that was the only time I've ever experienced that at a Church of God. Every uh, All the other hundred times I've been, Yeah. Qu- 
quiet service. It's like very peaceful. Like, yeah, it's just like a normal service. It's just sometimes <laughs> we just have a little freedom. <laughs> we have a little good time, you know. Sometimes, yeah. and it's crazy you said that. Like, I, my dad has the craziest story he tells on Sundays about how like his first time he had like an experience, like the Holy Spirit. He talks about how he sat in the church, and this was when he before he was a pastor. He was sitting in there listening to Brother Holland speak. Brother Holland, you know, called the Holy Spirit, and he started running around the church. And Dad sat in his seat, and he said he just sat there and froze. He's, and he was thinking, I said, I'm not moving. I would <laughs> yeah. never do that. I would never run around the church like that. No, no. And then he, he, this is what he says. He says when Pastor Holland came down the middle of the aisle, and, like, as soon as he passed him, Dad said it felt like somebody took his shirt and just yanked him up. And, like, then he started going around following him. And Dad was like, so I will never tell God I will never do anything ever again. <laughs> just for that simple fact. Yeah. Man. So with the with the speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. is it are certain people allowed to speak in tongues or is it kind of open to whatever happens, happens? Like what, what's the dynamic there? It's, it's, it's pretty much kind of how the Bible kind of describes it. In, our, in my the way I've looked at it is just a gift from God, you know. Like yeah. so, anybody really can do it if you. It's, it's just being, I guess, willing and then wanting to do it. Yeah, you know. And it's just kind of anybody really, as long as you're willing and wanting, yeah, you can do it. Like okay. my nanny is my is is faithfully speaks in tongues. Like if there's anybody that's going, like if I brought somebody to church, I will never forget when I when I was bringing people to church, I would always think. I wonder if my name's gonna speak in tongues today or not. <laughs> because she was the one, like if it was gonna happen, she was gonna do it. Yeah. Because she's just think and like I've never I'm gonna do it after I I really wanna like talk to her about that. Like cause I wanna see how her perspective is on it because she does it a lot. Like yeah. she speaks tongues a lot in church. Have and you ever so, done it? Have I? I if I have, I really don't know if I have. Honestly, like Best way I can explain it, I think I have. Like the whole speaking in tongues thing, I'm still learning it honestly. Yeah. And it's almost like it feels like you, you really are just crying out to God, really, in a sense. And it just, you really don't feel it. Is this the, I think the Bible describes as like an angelic language or something? Yeah. Okay. Like you really don't, you don't really feel yourself do it. Like it's, like in my mind, I'm sitting there worshiping God and like just thanking Him and praying to God. And like, but what everyone else is hearing is different. Yeah. Pretty, okay. I mean, I, like I said, speaking of tongues, tongues is something like I really, I kind of wish I knew a lot more about. Like, especially me, you would think me growing up in church, God, I would know about it. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's kind of one of the things where people ask me all the time, so how does it feel? Like, hey, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody's different, like, honestly. I think when it comes to it, yeah. I think the big thing about church God is is we allow the, I guess the freedom to worship however you know you want to, you yeah. know whether that be you t- take a few laps around the church or whether it be you just sit in your seat and raise your hands, you know. Um, I think that's the big thing with church God. But the common misconception is, oh no, everybody speaks in tongues. Everybody <laughs> does that. Yeah. All right, so. I guess we'll kind of wrap up with this one. Uh, you and Laney, how did you and Laney meet? You want the real story or the fake story? Uh, uh, which one's better? Both pretty good. Okay. We tell people we met at VSU. Okay. But we actually met on Tinder. Okay. <laughs> so 
that's the that's the real that's the real story it and it's kind of wild <laughs> to explain it yeah that was back when i was going through my college you know wanting to be a teenager yeah so i was on tinder just to socialize and meet females and i went through a rough patch where i wouldn't just meeting females to talk to them i was meeting them to you know yeah doing stuff i was supposed to and and so i kind of like took tinder i was like i'm not gonna mess with this anymore uh, it's causing me to fall i want to get better yeah. So my dad, that was my dad still paying for my phone bill. And so when dad's paying for it, dad believed he could check it whenever he wanted to. I, yeah. I agreed with him. I was like, okay, I'm with it if you're paying for it. So one night, out of nowhere, I'm sitting in the living room playing the game. And dad walks in there and he goes, he pulls up and he has Tinder pulled up. That know it? Now, mind you, dad has no clue what Tinder is whatsoever. <laughs> he goes, you see this girl right here that matched with you? Like, she looks pretty good. Like, and she commented... On my Tinder profile, I had a pic, one of my senior pictures on there, and it had Jeremiah 2011 on the bottom of the senior picture. Yeah. And and I thought, until actually until recently I just found this out, I thought Lenny was messaging me talking about, oh, I like that, I like that in your, your profile. You know, you got a Bible verse in there. But actually, <laughs> I just found this out probably like a few months ago. She actually was talking about, because in my bio, I put, I play guitar, not girls. Right. <laughs> and so she saw that and she liked that I, but I, with whole time probably until about six months ago I thought she was talking about my Bible verse in my profile yeah. my dad did too <laughs> so but it was crazy like my dad had no clue who she was no clue what Tinder was and he goes she's pretty you know you need to talk to her and so with a lot of praying I just kind of I started messaging her you know a little bit we hung out a little bit and we just finally I was like okay she's she's different I like I like this and so we started dating and were you always wanting to get married and have family, or was that- I was? I always wanted to get married and have family. I just didn't at the time. I didn't know it was going to happen. I was like, yeah. "There's this is crazy. Like dating is wild." Yeah. <laughs> and so, I think what really changed me, like when I knew I wanted to marry Lanny, was the fact of the matter is, she like changed. She wanted me to. She helped me change. Like it was, I didn't for any other female. I was stubborn, hard headed. I didn't want to change and do nothing. Nothing for anybody, nothing for him. Yeah, but her, she's something different about her. I just she she caused me better to be a better person, wanted me to change. So I was like, you know, I can get with that. I, I like yeah. this. So that's pretty much was like, okay, yeah, I'm probably gonna marry her. How long was the dating period? Let's see, starting dating in February, about nine months. Okay, we got met. I engaged to her in no like November. Of the year we started dating okay and so we when we were we, our year of dating we was engaged by the time it, within a year we yeah. was engaged and we got married that april so it wasn't very long i just kind of knew i was like yeah she's a good one she's wanting me to change <laughs> yeah. so hey let's not delay this and i always reference that verse what is it uh if you wasn't the bible verse oh gosh i'm gonna miss quite this bad it's like That's crazy. if you're burning with lust over the woman, pretty much, you know, if, if you love her, yeah, let them get married, you know. Yeah. And so I saw it. And I was like, I told Dad, I was like, hey, I saw this verse, and I really like Lenny. Can I just go and marry? He goes, he goes, is that the only reason why you'll marry? I said, no. Obviously, Dad, I love her. Like she's caused me to change a lot in my life, and you know that. And he's like, okay, that's the answer I wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> like, All right, we'll go look for some rings. And so, okay, it came to be there. Were you scared of committing? Uh, what, how old were you when you got married? 
twenty. I I got married on my birthday, so I just turned twenty two. Okay, so granted, I I grew up knowing a lot of people who got married young, so it wasn't a crazy like my parents got married like the day after my mom graduated high school, mm-hmm. and uh, like it's that I don't know. I just grew up around people who got married young. And got married fast. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a crazy thing to me. Was that... I don't know you said your parents were married... Or dating for like three months before yeah, they got like married. Yeah, it wasn't long at all. And yeah. so, yeah, it was about the same similar experience. I didn't... I knew people that got married young, so it really didn't bother me too much. Now to other people, you know, other people looking out, and they were like, oh, y'all didn't date very long, you know, like, yeah. wow. But I'm thinking... Did you get warned at all about like... Oh yeah, definitely. You need to date like five years or something like that yeah. to get and to she, know the person. Really, she did too. Like she had a friend who like called me like a egotistical maniac. Like she looked, like told me I was controlling and all this, and and laying kind of like bluntly told her like, no, no, he's not. <laughs> yeah. He's like y'all. She's like y'all need to slow down. But we was dating during COVID, like you know. Okay. And so you know during t- COVID, you you wouldn't hardly socialize them with anybody. Yeah. And honestly, I think that helped us. Like, we grew way more than I, like, if we would have dated outside of COVID, I don't think we would have grew as much as we did so fast. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, that's all I could do was spend time with her. Like, I didn't spend time with anybody else because yeah. COVID. I just spent time with her. So we grew really fast because of it. So when y'all started dating, was it like, were you already, did you already have marriage in your mind or was it something that came up later? No, it's something that definitely came up later. Like okay. when we first started dating, it was a. Uh, I remember even telling her because she met. She's the one that actually pushed the first. She wanted to push the dating scene on. Like we were just talking, and she said, "Listen, I've never really liked. She's never had a boy. She never had a boyfriend before me. Okay, so I was her first boyfriend, and so she she kind of like put it out there. Like, listen, you're different than any guy I've ever met. Like, we went to church together. No guys took me to church before, you know." I want to. I really want to pursue you. You know, start dating. And me in my head, I'm thinking, do I really want to commit to this? And so I kind of just took a step out there, leap. I prayed about it, and I was like, you know, let's try it. You know, because I've been hurt by sitting there doing stuff I wasn't supposed to, and I thought I was going to mess this up too. And I didn't want to mess it up because she was a special girl. I knew it. And so yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> she was a really special girl. I didn't want to mess it up. So I'm like, should I really date her? And then if I mess it up, will I ever get another one like this? I'm thinking. That's a conversation me and my mom had. The first time I brought Berlin over, uh, she it was like uh, July 3rd, I think, she came over for the first time and to like meet my parents-in-law. And immediately my mom like fell in love with her. My mom has hated every girl I've ever even talked about or brought near or anything mm-hmm. so the fact that my mom loved her I was like okay well this this is a good sign and then that next morning we were waiting for Berlin to come back over because it was 4th of July and we are going to go see fireworks stuff like that and uh me and my mom are talking outside I'm like yeah she I'm kind of nervous to to date her like yeah. I, because I feel like this is actually going to go somewhere and I don't know if I was like she's such a good person that it's scary like I know she cares about me Mm -hmm. and I've never had that before yeah and I'm like I think Annie Minio described it once that uh, vulnerability is like giving someone a loaded gun and trusting they don't shoot you with it yeah and that's forever stuck in my mind I was like I feel like 
this is what the, that, that is exactly how I feel. It's like I'm giving her a loaded gun, and I'm trusting she's not going to shoot me with it. Yeah. And even though like her her record looks very good, like she's a, such a caring, genuine, kind person, and that stood out. I was like, I've never met someone like that before, and I don't know if I want to take that risk because what if what if she does hurt me, and what if I don't even like. What if I, I screw this up? Right. She's such a kind person that if something happens, it's definitely probably going to be on me. Mm-hmm. And my mom just being like, she gave she said the corniest, cheesiest. She's like, well, it's better to have loved and lost than like, or in, in lost and never yeah. loved at all. And I was like, that is the dumbest saying ever. But yeah, I, I'll go with it. Sure. <laughs> yeah, <let's> go. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I guess at this point, being single five years, might as well take the shot. And, uh, yeah. But yeah, me and her had conversations a lot because uh, of just that maybe little bit of anxiety on my end of me screwing something up. Yeah, I was the same way. Because I I was like, we know ourselves better than anyone else. Yeah. I was like, like, I I know the Austin behind the scenes of like, I remember in high school having conversations with girls I dated or talk to or whatever of them knowing me in high school as the kid who wants to be a pastor mm-hmm. very Christian had his bible with him all the time but then them like getting to know me and being like oh Austin's kind of a mess and yeah they're like oh he's not the preacher kid that I thought he was yeah <laughs> and me knowing like that I'm just the mess that I am and like having to sort through that and eventually being like yeah, I would rather take their challenge than not like I don't want to live in fear about all this yeah and I was the same way like like when we met I was going through all that mess and like I was like well well am I really do I really need a girlfriend right now like cause like I'm trying to still figure out my own life <laughs> my relationship with God like do I need to take that on and it's funny cause like my little brother he's on that kick right now he's a, you know, he's yeah. a senior this year he's on that kick me and Lane's been like pushing him to get a girlfriend. We're like, get one, get one. And he's on that kick of, well, you know, I need to focus on my relationship with God. I don't think I need a girlfriend. I'm like, oh, come on, Jacob. Don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah. Just, it's okay. You're going to be all Figure right. Figure it out as you go. You're, I'm thinking you're, you're better than me, like, at this age. Like, you got this. And so I know exactly how you feel. I did the same thing. Oh. What's your relationship with uh, Jacob like? Oh, Jacob. Like best, I have a little brother too. It's right? like best friend. It's more like a best friend like type deal. Now he's got yeah. older. He, he literally tells me all the time. Like he sends me to all the time. Like send this to your best friend, and yeah. he's like, you know, you're my best friend. Like we we get along. We get along with everything about like Marvel video games. Like he's a huge okay. gamer, like to the max. Yeah. And so we play video games all the time together. Um, so that's our relationship. Our relationship's kind of honestly just like a best friend. If you told me that when I was younger, I'd told you you're crazy. Because, like, back when I was younger, I thought it was annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, same with my brother. We, we joke around about it. Of My little brother constantly had conversations with my mom because he, he thought I genuinely hated him. Mm-hmm. Which I was always like, no, I don't hate you. We share a room together. You annoy the bejesus out of him. And he's, like, I don't know, six years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So growing up, that's that age difference mattered a lot because we're just like he's in kindergarten and I'm in 
don't know, whatever grade. Yeah, because well, <laughs> Jacob was five years younger than me, so we were pretty much the same. Like, I was yeah. the same way. And then Jacob would not sleep by himself at all. <laughs> like, he wanted to, like, from the time we grew up together, like, he stayed in my room. Like, and when, before I, we bought a bunk bed, yeah, he slept in my bed, like, with me. Like, he didn't go sleep anywhere else. So we grew up, like, close. But at the same time, like, when he was younger, I was like, give me a break, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> I I'd, I've had friends over. Daniel was always, like, right there, like, trying to be a part of it. I was like, Mom, get rid of this kid. Like, I don't care where he goes. Just get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's crazy because me and Daniel are, like, best friends. And it's, like, our sense of humor has like really brought us together we have the same like sarcastic dark humor and this is that (laughs) we're the same way like jacob's got that corny cheesy humor yeah and like i've got that sarcastic humor (laughs) like so we just gel like now it's it's crazy to think how far we've came like like i said when i was younger if you told me i was gonna be about best friends my brother i'd be like you're crazy yeah (laughs) what is uh my little brother because i like growing up called a ministry early Mm-hmm. And then, like, I was also like the good kid in the family. Like, I, I just didn't want to disappoint my, my parents. So I was like, I have no problem with Bane. Mm-hmm. Seems easier. My little brother is, he reminds me a lot of Jake Paul. Of like, he's a problem child for, yeah, that, completely. He was constantly like getting in trouble. And uh, one of the things me and him have talked about a good bit is, as we are growing up, he always. The expectations put people put on me, mm. they put on him because they assumed Daniel would be called to ministry too. Yeah, and Daniel is like the he's like I don't want nothing to do with that. He's like I I, I love Jesus, but he he just he's not called to any of that. Right. And uh, was that did you brother have the same struggle or? No, not really. I, honestly, because he wants to be a pastor. Like he'll okay. tell you, he does. He wants to be a pastor. I think it's honestly the flip. Like Jacob pushes me a little bit because Jacob is way more spiritual than I am, honestly, in my okay. opinion. Like, he's he's in it. Like, and, like, <laughs> I'll look, I'm like, dang, Jacob, like, you're doing better than me. <laughs> like, I think our biggest thing was, us growing up, is Jacob would always lean on me to a lot of advice. Like, even now, he all the time, like, he don't go to mom, he don't go to dad. Because mm-hmm. he just, like I said, we grew up so close together, like, he wanted to be around me. Yeah, He goes to mom and dad, too. But, like, for a lot of the big issues, he'll come talk to me because he knows I probably went through it. And yeah. so... I don't know if that's how you and your brother yeah. are here. Like he, he's all the time like talking about issues with me and like his personal life and. Yeah. But yeah, he never really had that experience because he he wants to be a pastor. That's cool. And I think what what challenges me is because he's so spiritual and so into it. People look at me and think, oh, well, why aren't you like <laughs> him? I'm like, well, I'm just I'm a little bit more laid back than him. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he's in it. Wow, that's cool. Okay, so uh. Yeah, when y'all came to the bridge, mm-hmm. I, I talked to Jacob for a little bit, and he he was like the sweetest kid. He was not what I was expecting. Uh, just because you, you and your dad seem very extroverted. Mm-hmm. We are. And Jacob seemed very super. To he's super introverted, man, to the max. Like, <laughs> if he don't know you, he'll like he he won't hardly talk. Like, okay. and then with him, and I say this, him being homeschooled, he. he He's actually going to public school this year. His first year going back to public school. His okay. mom wants him to have a normal graduation, you know. But he'd been homeschooled from sixth grade. Because this is his senior year? Mm-hmm. Okay. He grad- he'd been homeschooled from sixth grade all the way until now. 
So he never really had interactions outside of really just me and my family. You know, he's got a best friend in Barry, and that's it. And so he's super introverted. Like, if he don't know you, uh, he's not. And he, it's hard for him to make. He's the type of kid, it's hard for him to make conversations, like, outside of anything he knows about. Like, if you talk about, if you talk to him about Apex Legends or Fortnite, <laughs> yeah, he will talk your head off. But if you talk to him about sports, he's like, yeah, okay. Like, he's playing football now, right? He is. He is. He's enjoying it. He but just, he, he's not as uh, into sports as you and your dad? No, okay. not by a long shot. Like... <laughs> Generally, like at first, it kind of took us kind of pushing in to play football this year. But now I think he started like a little bit more. But at first, he didn't want to play. He was like, I just want to go to school and come home, maybe go work, make some money. And Dad's like, let's go play one more year of football. Come on. <laughs> so we kind of pushed. And then with me being a coach, I was like, come on, Jake. You know you want to be – because he's playing at Lakeland. I'm over at Homerville. You know, that's the yeah rivalry right there for Lakeland. And so I'm thinking, you know, come on, Jake. How cool would it be you? I get to take one of my kids, tell them to knock you out on the last game of the season, you know? <laughs> is, like you said, uh, for Lakeland, Clinch is our rival. Mm-hmm. Is it vice versa or no. not at all? No, that's what I figured out. It's almost like to Clinch, Lanier's like the annoying little brother. Like, you know, it's like. That is hilarious. They don't yeah. really see us as a rival. It's more of like you bother us enough yeah. that we, we y'all make us mad, but we're not your rival. Well, our rival's Charlton. Like, because Charlton's got a big yeah. history in football, too. And so, and they're, like, they're super close. But that's how, you'll find that out a lot of, like, a lot of schools. Every school has one rival, like, it generally has one rival. Like, or they can't stand each other. And it's just because they've known each other for a while. Then they always have the teams that swear up and down that are their rival, but they're not. Yeah. Like, we went to a camp. Um, we went to an FCA camp this summer with our football team. And it was us, a team out of Florida, and ATCO was there um in Pearson they was it was in it was Camp and Ray City and we had to stay there the whole week at the cabins and we'd had church services in between like practices and stuff and the guy speaking had talked about like rivalries and stuff he was like who's y'all's rival and he asked Atco Atco goes Clinch and then we all of us coaches kind of looked at each other like man no it's <laughs> like wait, this ain't our rivals get out of here like we we beat Atco all the time and we're like yeah. Hey, we didn't say our rivals, man. Like, get out of here. That is hilarious. So every <laughs> every there's always one rivalry, but it, it there's always others is gonna claim that you're a rival, but we're not. Okay. That's about the relationship between like I'd compare it to an annoying little brother. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. That makes way more sense than how yeah growing up I thought of it. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's <laughs> that whole thing, man. The sports world is a crazy thing to be in but I tell you I wouldn't trade it for the world especially it, yeah, it, ne- it never made sense that we're each other's rivals to me because as far as I know y'all have always won right yeah they never lost to Lakeland yeah. yeah so in my mind I was like why would that be like a huge competition if you're always smoking us yeah uh, that, <laughs> that's why they consider Charlton the rival because that's, that's like a back and forth like type deal like they've I can't remember. They posted a picture last year on our social media of like their win and loss record, like percentage everybody's won. And like it's super close. That's crazy. And it's a dog fight every time we play them. So it's that's how it is with Lakeland. It's, it's hard to have a rivalry too, like you said, without you actually beating them at least once. Yeah. So.